0: I'm Cameron Wright, glad to be your pastor. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, uh, Lord, uh, that you both invite us uh, and welcome us, but more than that, you made a way for us to come into your presence. Lord, you made room. You took time. And so, Lord, we just are so thankful that we can come into your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. Father, and in your presence, we ask that your word would be uh, our minds, our eyes would be open to behold wonderful things from Your Word. Father, so we just pray anointing on this time as I communicate what You put on my heart uh, that our lives would be transformed to the power of Your presence in Your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. All right, talking about <clears throat> the seven deadly sins. Maybe we might want to turn down the mic a little bit. <clears throat> All right, and I've been doing this series, the Seven Deadly Sins, is uh, um, uh, actually something the church has taught on for many, many centuries, although, um, you know, over the last couple of centuries, you know, even the discussion of sin itself has kind of taken a back seat, and uh, uh, and so it's kind of gotten lost. But these are primary areas that for many, many centuries have been identified as um, areas of sin or categories of sin that are particularly destructive. <clears throat> and um, so we're taking time to look at each one. You know, in John 8:34, Jesus said, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So sin at its core is slavery. Every sin. Every sin. No matter how little it is, it's slavery. And at its core, it's slavery. And Jesus came to set us free. the enemy comes in and he tries to convince us that that little sin is not your evil overlord, but maybe your friend. Or maybe it's just your little weakness. See, if the enemy can just change your thought process, that sin is not something that keeps you in bondage, but your weakness, then the enemy wins. And you'll never walk in the freedom that Christ came to set you free. Sin is bondage and Jesus came to free us. From sin. William Stafford, the author of the book that that I'm getting a lot of this from, says, Sin is the refusal to let God be God. It is the decision to create a false center for life. A false center for your life. Which is an idol to which we give our ultimate loyalty. So we're looking at each one of these areas of sin to identify how we can respond in a way to the temptation of that sin or that sin in a way that keeps Christ at the center and enables us to walk in true freedom. Well, today's sin, we've covered lots of them, but today's sin is envy. I always forget about the, the yeah, it's easy, I don't know, why we, we had to put him in somewhere. <laughs> oh, so, <clears throat> a sound heart is life to the body. Proverbs 14 and 30. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. The idea of that proverb is that envy is one of these sins that just goes right to the bone, to the structure that holds you up, and it rots it out. In the New Testament, in James chapter 3, verse 16, James writes, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Oh! Where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion, <coughs> excuse me, and every evil thing are there. <coughs> and so envy and self-seeking, you know, produce the symptoms of confusion and evil acts. At the root of it is this envy and the self-seeking. We're going to look at envy. I feel like of all of the sins, this one maybe needs a little bit of definition. <clears throat> and one uh, resource defines envy uh, as this. Punitive zeal. Punitive. Because course, everybody's going, what the heck does punitive mean? <laughs> punitive is zeal that seeks punishment. Okay? Punitive zeal. Contentious rivalry. Jealousy. Webster puts it this way. This is how Webster defines uh, uh, envy. To feel uneasiness, shame, or wounded pride, or discontent at the sight of superior excellence, reputation, or happiness enjoyed by another. So if you feel uneasy, if you feel shame, if you feel wounded pride, if you feel discontent, just by seeing somebody else that's doing something better than you regardless of what it is. It's not about them. It's what goes on inside of your heart. That's, it. That's envy. To be discontented or complain at another's prosperity. To fret or grieve one's self at the real or supposed superiority of another and to hate him or her or them on that account. Okay? So it's to feel this way because you perceive that somebody else has got something or is in some way better than you, and so you feel shameful or you feel discontent or you feel and then, and that, that those those feelings really quickly go over to hate and um, uh, uh, malice toward the other individual. Envy in the book is defined this way: <clears throat> envy is resentment of the good another person enjoys with hatred. Of the other person for having it, huh. resentment of the good another person enjoys, with hatred of the other person for having it. It moves beyond the shallower deadly sins towards something worse: ill will, uh, pure and simple. The hatred of good because it's good. Somebody has something good, and you just hate it because it's good. Unlike avarice or greed. Envy doesn't simply seek to acquire that thing. It resents the other's possession of it. that's the difference between greed and envy. Greed is wanting something someone else has. Envy is not liking that person or being upset or even feeling shame because someone else has something you don't have. Okay? It's a deeper sin. It's a little more insidious. Um, Um it grudges the fact that someone else should have what it does not. Then as it blossoms, it hates the other person and wishes to destroy uh, their good. You know, the idea of the grass is greener on the other side. You know, there's always another side. It's always warmer somewhere else, you know. <laughs> or they have better snow in Utah. <laughs> you know, there's always something. Or I was talking with Kathy last night, I think it was, yesterday, <clears throat> about the envy and that really that's the sin that uh, Cain uh, committed uh, when he killed his brother Abel. You know, his brother's sacrifice was accepted and his wasn't. And, you know, Cain didn't go steal Abel's sacrifice. It wasn't the sacrifice. He was so angry and envious that he went out to kill and he killed his brother uh, because his brother had something he didn't have. So that hatred distilled so It goes all the way back to the beginning. In fact, some traditions look at envy as the archetypal sin, the sin that defines all other sins, or as the 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 overarching idea of sin, because really that was what was at issue with Satan and in the temptation of the garden. We're going to look at this real quickly in Genesis chapter three, verse four and five. The certain, if the serpent, if you remember the story in the Garden of Eden, said to Eve, the woman, says, "God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." And so he drew attention to the one aspect. That they weren't like God, okay, and that was part of the temptation, part of the deception, that there's something you don't have, so you know, reach out and grab it. You deserve it. And when you think of it, that's exactly what the devil had, as as it's represented in Isaiah, uh, uh, prophetic of uh, most people believe, prophetic of uh, Lucifer's fall or Satan's fall. Originally, Isaiah writes. Uh, concerning the, uh, what Satan said a long time ago. We don't know all the details, but originally he was an angel in heaven and he said to himself, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will, ta- I will be like the Most High. That's what Satan said. I will be like the Most High. Yet... You shall be brought down the shoal to the lowest depths of the pit. And that was the result of, that was the fall of Satan. And it was that very same thing that uh, Satan envied uh, God's position. That's what he shared with Adam and Eve. Be like God. That, that striving to be like God. And he, and he tempted Eve to reach out and grab for herself the one thing that God said don't. That's not for you because there's that perceived I don't have something and a striving for it like Satan. Okay, we resent deeply that we're not God. You know, I think that's 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 where we find ourselves as human beings. Maybe you don't, (laughs) but when it gets right down to it, we're not God. We're not in control. We're hardly in control of our own bodies. (laughs) The older you get, the more you find out. (laughs) It's like, wow. (laughs) I don't want that to happen. Uh, Well... You know, it's part of the process. <laughs> we're not God, but we want to be like God, and we actually, and that can actually develop into a resentment uh, that we we resent that we're not God. We resent deeply that we're not God. Proud envy, uh, envy that's uh, displayed in a proud way, <clears throat> uh, wants to grab and claim all for the self. Sad envy wants to darken and claim, uh, wants darkness to claim everything. Proud envy boils out at others who provoke it. Like Cain murdering Abel, sad envy eats away inside like acid. You know, someone consumed with their own envy of others until they withdraw and just shame. <clears throat> At its deepest, envy rejects God. One wants to be self-secure, self-sufficient, omnicompetent. I can do all things. I don't need Christ. <laughs> One wants to live Forever. To live without limits, except one's own choices. One wants to be like God and cannot. Thus one envies God's life. And so <clears throat> envy at its core is a desire. Is, it, it comes out of this desire that we don't need anybody else. We want to be self-sufficient. okay. And, the, and, and realizing that when we see somebody that is better than us in any way, it can stir up not only a desire for that, which is greed, but this hatred or this dis-ease, this discontent, you know, or even shame. You know, a lot of people that suffer with shame, it's because they're envious. They think they have a poor self-image. No, that's not really the core sin. The core sin is that you envy somebody else who's better than you. And if you repent of envy, you won't be so concerned about your own self so much. And you'll be happier. All right? Is making sense? Somebody say amen. All right, so how does envy present itself? That's kind of what envy is. Envy presents itself. That's the core thing that's going on in the heart. It can present itself in a number of ways. One is jealousy, uh, which is not merely wanting something, but being upset merely because you lack of it, uh, because you lack something. You're upset because you don't have something. Um It it, it disturbs you. And the story is a great story in the the book where the author is walking along and uh, they're on vacation or something. And they have two daughters and one daughter uh, just walks upon. There's a ten dollar bill and grabs the ten dollar bill is like, yeah, I found ten dollars. And she's all excited. And if you're a parent, you'll relate to this perfectly because the sibling instantly broke out in tears and was crying. Because she didn't find the $10, you know, she couldn't rejoice, you know, and the the parents were like, wow, that's cool, you found 10 bucks, you know, but here, just one second earlier, everybody was happy, and now you have one child in meltdown, right, (laughs) and they're demanding that the other uh, siblings share what she found, and they're like, no, wait a minute, you know, we can rejoice with that, but it's, it's, it wasn't something taken away from her, It was just something that someone else, her sibling got, that she didn't get. So automatically there was a feeling. There was envy. Why didn't I get it? Well, you didn't find it, you know. But next time it might be you. It's okay. Let's rejoice at it. That's the idea. There's a jealousy um, that that, uh, uh, being upset emotionally in turmoil or even feeling shameful or whatever or getting mad because someone has something you don't have. All right. Contempt is, I think, a little more common way that envy displays itself or reveals itself. And that's disdain or dislike of others simply because they have what you do not have or are different than you. Now, I know no one here would ever stoop to such behavior. But some people I've heard do this. Uh, they ignore others. To, to ignore people, quality, good qualities, good things, as unworthy of notice, may protect one's self-absorption and self-worship from conscious threat. Okay, this is disdaining someone. To ignore people, their qualities, good things, as unworthy of notice, to protect one's own self-absorption and self-worship, from conscious threat. The price is the loss of those others made in God's image, reflecting God's goodness in ways we could not do ourselves. Okay, and so this is, this is uh, um, separating somebody out. Maybe, you know, disdain is a hard word to understand. Maybe you just can't relate to that person. But really the motivation is is because they're different than you, and so you put them in a box, all right? Uh, I had this experience a few years ago. I was down south in Florida, and we did a, a week-long school, <coughs> and uh, um, and there was another couple there, and fr- they were from Alabama, or uh, I think it was Alabama or somewhere down south, and uh, we'd spent four days all day long in these classes together in small groups, and and I thought everything was great. But at the end of it, <laughs> this guy came up and said, "Cameron, I have to tell you something." And he had a real deep Southern accent. I'm, I'm not even try to imitate. I'm terrible at accents. But <clears throat> he said, "Cameron, I have to tell you, you're the first Yankee I've ever liked." <laughs> and I, I was like, you know, just I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> because, you know, it's not an issue for me. I mean, I you know, but for down there, it's still an issue. I don't know if you know. <laughs> they still remember that war. Uh, <laughs> and he goes, uh, I'm like, oh, wow, that's great. You know, and I'm trying to, and he, it turns out years ago, earlier when he was, you know, younger, uh, he'd went to New York. <laughs> he said every New Yorker he met was, you know, just obnoxious. And I said, well, that's New York, you know. They're obnoxious to everybody. You know those New Yorkers are like that. It's okay, and, but he'd never had a relationship with someone from the North. You know, he had this predisposition that all all people from the North are just obnoxious, and and it was it was really neat to to be able, used by God to break that right. <clears throat> but we all have things like that, where there's certain people that fall into that are in certain categories. That we put them into a lower. Maybe they're poorer than us. Maybe they're a different uh, ethnicity. Maybe they speak a different language. You know. Maybe they root for a different football team. You know. Maybe they went to a. Well, I'm sorry. I know that's serious stuff. There. <laughs> Better get out of here. All form, All. I believe all forms of prejudice are really envy disguised. There's something about the other person that you are either shamed by or envious of. And so you put them in a box. You limit them. Uh, Malice goes even further than than, uh, disdain, and far beyond coveting something good or ignoring it in contempt. Malice hates the good and tries to destroy it. Now, there's overt ways where that's happened where you actually kill somebody, you know, or steal something from them. What uh, what Cain did to Abel, but a more common way is that you gossip about them, or you belittle them, even putting them in a box mentally. Maybe you never say or do anything. Uh, but I'm telling you, man, I struggle with this. There's certain I'm not going to tell you what, but there's certain things that God has just made me aware of. That you know, I'm like, why do I see when I encounter people like this? Why do I kind of Automatically say, you know, who am I? Who am I? How does God see that person? Yeah, right. You know, and, and at the root of it is, you know, it can be pride, but it can be envy, and prejudice is motivated out of envy. We want to, we want to belittle, we want to kill that good because it's good because there's something good in everyone. All right, undermining. Uh, or it can be turned against yourself, and you dismiss yourself. I'll never be like them. They're too good. You know, that's a form of envy. If, if it makes you feel shame or injured pride, that's envy. Because someone else, oh, they're so spiritual. I could never fit in. Huh, you should get the normal. <laughs> okay. What's the good? <laughs> what's the good? Envy corrupts. Human beings are creatures. Did you know that? You're a creation. You are not self. You're not uh, what's the word? Self-existent. Self-existent. <laughs> Maybe you didn't know that. All right. <clears throat> you're made to be one particular thing by God. Okay. There's two implications that to this that you're created by God in, on purpose that have uh, relate to envy. One <clears throat> is that we're dependent. As a creation, as a creature, we're dependent. We receive everything that we are and can become from God. We're derivative. We derive our existence and everything about our existence from, from God. All right? We do not exist out, apart from God. Uh, we do not exist absolutely of ourselves like God. And the second implication is that <clears throat> human beings are one thing and not another. I like how he puts it in the book. That's a quote. <laughs> In other words, our possibilities are finite and limited. God is unlimited, but we are limited. No matter how hard I try, I will never be six feet tall. You know? What do you think? (laughs) Do you know that people, statistically, that are six feet tall will earn more money than I? Yeah. Yeah. There is a chart that so will prove this. That's not fair. <laughs> I've, I've, I've often wanted to buy risers and just walk through the room and see if people treat me treat me differently. I actually they know they will, huh? If they see if they give you more money. I've been around. I've been. I've, I've like analyzed this. I'll be with taller people and and in, uh uh not the you know it's great to be tall. Sure, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but people treat you differently. Just being bigger. You know, I'm big. (laughs) I'm not tall. (laughs) But I'm like a wall. (laughs) I've lost track. Okay. (laughs) I'm one thing. I'm one thing and not another. All right. (laughs) That means we're finite. We're limited. Okay. We have limitations. We have limitations. Now, you can say we're limited and you have limitations and rebel against that. You know, you're limited. You can't, I can't get to six, uh, I want to get to six feet tall. Well, you know, go for it. You're not going to do it. You can fake it, but you can't be six feet tall. All right? Or you can see it as a blessing. All right? Because we're creatures. God blessed His finite creatures and called them good. Listen, to be created is sheer gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's like, wow, God purposely chose to create me. Wow, and I'm unique. Six billion people on a the planet. There's no one quite like me. You know? That's a gift. My, my, my very, the very fact that I am limited is a gift because I'm unique. I'm different than somebody else. And that in itself is something to rejoice about. Humans are meant to rejoice in the particular blessing of being chosen, thought out, willed into existence by God. One begins and ends in relationship, never alone. Wow, because we're creatures, because we're created. We are never alone because we were created by God, and so we had relationship with Him, and we will always be in relationship with Him. That's a gift. That's something to rejoice and, and celebrate, not rebel against and envy because we don't have what somebody else has. Does that make, a Does it make sense? All right? Envy twists that. All right? Envy corrupts the good of being dependent on God. That dependency is good, but envy corrupts that. All right? It's like a child who wants to run away because they reject the benefits of being loved in a loving home. This is brought I'm going to tell a story by you <coughs> Lewis doesn't mind. Lewis was about three or four. he'd just gotten his first tricycle, you know, it took him a while to learn how to ride it, but he had it down, okay He could ride that tricycle, zoom around, and then one day I was out in the garage working on something I can't remember what, and William comes running in. William was just a couple years older. Oh, he was a couple years older, and and, and Lewis had been riding his tricycle, and William comes in and says, "Dad, Dad, you gotta help! You gotta do something quick!" I was like, "What's wrong?" You know, I'm thinking, you know, he got hit by a car or something like that. You know, and I fell out of a tree, broke his arm. He says, "Dad, Dad, Dad, Lewis is gonna run away!" And he was just, you know, he'd been William had been trying to talk Lewis out of it and couldn't talk him out, and Lewis was determined. You know, I'm like, "Okay," so I walk out. I guess. Tool in my hand. There's Lewis, man. He's like set. <laughs> Freedom! <laughs> he's riding his tricycle and he's just like, the sky's the limit, you know, and he's, he's booking down the sidewalk. <laughs> and I walk out and I say, hey, Lewis! He just stops and turns at me, you know. I say, it's okay if you run away. <clears throat> A little part I didn't tell you is that he, at that age, he was addicted to chocolate milk. <laughs> I mean, morning, noon, and night. That was the only thing he drank was chocolate milk. Right? <laughs> so he's turn around. He says, hey, Lewis, you know, it's okay. You can go. It's fine. Just, just think about this. Where are you going to get chocolate milk? And you could see it, it hit him. It was like. <laughs> and then he just put his head down like this. <laughs> I walk back into the garage, and William comes running up and says, dad, That was brilliant. <laughs> Remember that? (laughs) I wish I had that in video. It was so fun. You know, he he had a great, you know, he just, that freedom, he was like wanting something. But he didn't realize that there's benefits to having a a loving father and a a home, you know. And those benefits are are something to celebrate. and, And we want to run away from God sometimes. But let's, let's remember, hey, what keeps us here is that he's a, it's great to be dependent on a God that's so abundant and so generous, okay? <clears throat> and then, secondly, the implication is that uh, we're each unique, we're particular, okay? We're a blessing to ourselves and glorify God, but we're also a blessing to one another in our own uniqueness, all right? Human beings are created to live together, co- cooperating, taking delight in each other, depending on each other's. Uh, different gifts, giftings, and goods, and enjoying those gifts in each other. We were created to live in community. And envy, like anger, is a sin against community. It breaks down the fabric of community. So unlike gluttony or lust, which are sins that involve bodily stuff, anger uh, and, and, uh, and envy are sins that break down community. And we're called, we're created to live in community where everybody is different and those differences are celebrated and that we partake and not, you know, envied, which distorts and causes us to destroy or demean. Envy robs us of the pleasure of seeing others grow and succeed because we only see what we feel we don't have. Right, right? Self-centeredness. All right? <clears throat> Rather than valuing other, another, one another and rejoicing in one another and rejoicing that we're interdependent. Okay? In fact, we, I believe all of us find our greatest fulfillment in community. It's in relationship with others. So, <clears throat> there's... there's uh, I'm going to talk a couple of remedies for envy. How do you deal with it? Well... Psalm 73, verse 2, is an account of uh, one of the psalmists who actually experienced envy and revealed it in the Scripture. He says in Psalm 73, verse 2, it says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And it goes on to tell how he was just upset that he had been living in what he perceived as a righteous life and self-sacrificially and do that. But he'd see wicked people make a whole bunch of money and get everything he wants. And it stirred up envy within him to the place where it was too painful for him to even look at them because he was so, how can they get away with everything and I have to uh, suffer through all this? Until, it says in verse 17, "...until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end." In other words, when the psalmist, even in this place of feeling envious of others, got into the presence of God, he was able to see things from a more clear perspective. He saw their end. He could see from an eternal point of view. Now, of course, when he's talking about in the sanctuary, he's talking about a literal sanctuary, most likely the temple or the tabernacle. When he went in and he was in the place where, where, where the Lord was being lifted up and magnified in the place of beauty. But it's also just in the presence. Those, those literal temples uh, signify what we're all supposed to live in, which is the presence of the, the real and true and very presence of God. The sanctuary of his dwelling place, which now in the New Testament is wherever Christ is honored. Like, the kingdom of God is where? In you! Alright? As you worship Him. As you exalt Him. But it was in the sanctuary, in the presence of God, that psalmist was able to see from the right perspective. And so, God's presence sets everything else in true perspective. Alright? The best remedy or prevent, prevention for the sin of envy is to stay in God's presence. Alright? And Jesus... <coughs> is 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 really key. In the Old Testament, one of the first things that you encountered when you came into this into the sanctuary, in the place of worship, was the altar of sacrifice. Alright, where the sacrifice was slain on your behalf so that you could enter into that presence. Well in the New Testament, it's the same thing, because the Old Testament was there to teach us how it really works. But the sacrifice is not Bulls and goats, but the person Jesus Christ. And so what we encounter first when we come into God's presence in the new covenant is the cross. Where Jesus Christ uh, bled and died for our sins. Alright? The cross on which Jesus died is the gateway into that new world. What the author is saying here is that world without envy and without any of those sins. This is a quote. Remedy to evil. Envy begins with Jesus' cross and resurrection. His death to envy and His resurrection to God's glory. Listen to this. When God raised Jesus from the dead, it reveals that God brings infinite possibility out of the narrowest limits that finite life surrendered to God in trust arrives at endless joy. Alright? When God... Raised Jesus from the dead, it revealed that God brings infinite possibilities out of the narrowest limits. That finite life, that thing that envy ugh, is motivated out of, finite life surrendered to God, brings infinite possibilities out of the narrowest limits. And that finite life surrendered. To God. Finite life, surrendered to God, in trust, arrives at endless joy. Think about this for a minute, alright? It was when Jesus was stripped of everything He owned. Alright? Jesus demonstrates this victory over that sin of envy by not only taking on the limitations of being a human... He existed before creation. It was through Him everything was created. But He took on humanity. talks about this in the book of Philippians. You can read about it. He took on humanity, put it on like a robe, like a cloth. He humbled Himself to come as a human. Not only that, but then He died. And not only did He die, but He died the death of a cross. On the cross, the most humiliating uh, type of death, bearing our sin. And and this isn't how it's portrayed in the movies, but the Romans crucified people naked. So everything Jesus had, He lost. Alright? And there He was, hanging on the cross, and even the life He had as a human, He gave that up. And it was in giving up that, in the expression of limiting, limitations, taking on the greatest limitations of all, the narrowness of the cross, it was through that that He obtained everything. He is Lord over all. But more than that, it was through that narrow place of the cross that He obtained the freedom for everyone that follows Him. Alright? So God demonstrates that a life, a finite life surrendered to Him is the the way to enjoy all of what God has. Alright? And envy trying to rob it Or steal it. You end up with nothing. Alright? You end up with death. But Christ demonstrates that a life surrendered to God enables us to enjoy everything. The cross shows us that God can use dependence upon Him to bring us into everlasting abundance. That the true way to share in all of God's nature is not to try to steal it through greed or destroy it through envy, but to receive it as a gift through grace. Amen! Okay. Second thing we can learn from that is Christ in the sanctuary. So in the sanctuary we encounter Christ. In the sanctuary we encounter Christ's body, which is the church that we live in communion, like we practiced this morning. Okay. But community that we're all one. We live in relationship with one another. Philippians says it this way: Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than Himself. If we're looking at one another and rejoicing in their uniqueness and rejoicing in their strengths, then you can rejoice in your own strength. And there's no competition because we're in community. We celebrate that, both within the church and then outside of the church. You just rejoice with other people in every way you can. And it blesses that. The final way is thankfulness. In a daily way, the best remedy for envy... Is cultivating thankfulness. Listen, envy cannot grow in a thankful heart. Envy cannot grow in a thankful heart. You want to have the, 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 uh, the immunization against envy, Just be thankful. Be thankful for everything. I'm thankful I'm nine, five, nine and three quarters. Even though at my physical she wrote down five, nine. I was like, "I'm five, nine and three quarters <laughs> Kathy says, "No, they just rounded it off. I'm like, "I'm five, nine and three quarters, you know. <laughs> i'm thankful i'm thankful it doesn't matter you know? i'm thankful my hair used to be reddish brown <laughs> i'm glad i still got some <laughs> a thankful heart be thankful about everything you cannot be over thankful be thankful if you're upset about something start thanking god for the good in it and your heart changes it is just re, it removes and it's it's just more enjoyable you know to be thankful than it is to be envious, and with that, I'll let Seth come up and give some announcements.